Welcome to the Medicare Meetup. I'm Meg Kepke, and I'm joined today by my colleagues and co-hosts, Melissa Cohen and Breda Eshelman. This podcast is brought to you by Arrera Health Group, a mission-focused policy, strategy, and operations practice committed to making healthcare more affordable, more accessible, and high quality for all. We meet monthly to recap the Medicare news of the day and look ahead. Tune in each month for fresh content and watch for our mini-series devoted to special topics throughout the year. On today's episode, we recap the year, share highlights and expected impacts of the flurry of final rules, and award the top three Medicare moments of 2021. Good afternoon, Melissa and Meg. When this episode airs, it will officially be the final month of 2021. Is it everything you hoped it would be? Nearly. I was hoping that we would have a Build Back Better bill and that my daughter's school would have announced the return of the aftercare program by now. We adopt a family motto each year, and since last fall, ours has been, we love disruption. And I'll say I'm kind of ready to retire that motto. That feels more like a mantra to me. If you repeat it enough times, maybe you believe it. Yeah, I think Meg needs a new motto for the year ahead. (laughs) And speaking of the year ahead, or more like the week slash month ahead, what is on the docket? The Herrera team just wrapped up its attendance at the National Association of Medicaid Directors Conference, or NAMDI. As a Medicare policy nerd, this was not something that was previously on my radar, and we learned a few things. First, Medicaid directors like to have fun, and it was good to see our colleagues in their element. Secondly, it's clear that states are still in a tough spot with respect to COVID, and are leveraging many of the lessons learned to shape what the next normal looks like. Among the critical themes of the conference were discussions around paying for social determinants, unwinding expansions of Medicaid that occurred in response to the public health emergency, and suspending redetermination requirements, benefits, things like that. That is such a good point. Medicaid enrollment increased a lot during the pandemic, and that was largely due to a provision in the Families First Coronavirus Response Act that increased the federal match and also required states to keep people enrolled in Medicaid during the public health emergency. But now Medicaid is looking at this cliff where they will suddenly redetermine eligibility for tons of people, which could really disrupt coverage and access. Exactly. Also coming up, APG is holding their annual conference in person in San Diego this week, and direct contracting will be a hot topic. Will direct contracting ever not be a hot topic? That That's rhetorical. I don't really want our answers. But with that, let's dig into the flurry of final rules. It's always sort of an early Christmas or Hanukkah gift for policy nerds. Um, Breda, can you start by setting the stage and share which rules finalized and why they matter? Sure. And since it's the end of the year, why don't we do a quick rundown of all of the annual calendar year payment rules that are going to take effect in January 2022? So the first is the physician fee schedule rule, which extends certain Medicare telehealth services permitted during the COVID-19 public health emergency through the end of 2023 and makes others permanent, allows physician assistants to bill Medicare directly starting in 2022, increases the payment rate for influenza, pneumococcal, and hepatitis B virus vaccines from a national average of $16.94 in 2021 to $30 starting in 2022, 
and modifies the Medicare Diabetes Prevention Program to encourage expansion. Second, the Outpatient Prospective Payment System and Ambulatory Surgical Center rule reverse the Trump administration's policy that would have gradually eliminated the inpatient-only, or IPO, list of procedures that CMS will not reimburse if performed in an outpatient setting, increased the minimum civil monetary penalty levied against hospitals that do not comply with the price transparency rules, and modified CMMI's radiation oncology model by removing the treatment modality of brachytherapy and the diagnosis of liver cancer from inclusion in the model, updated the historical years to calculate baseline costs in that model, and decreased the discount applied to the payment amount. And finally, the home health rule expanded the home health value-based purchasing program into a national program. Wow, Breda, take a breath. That is a lot. Among the highlights that struck me, uh, let's talk a bit more about telehealth expansion. Yes, so the Physician Fee Schedule, or PFS, extends some of the COVID Medicare telehealth flexibilities through the end of 2023. And it also makes permanent the waiver allowing a patient's home to serve as the originating site for mental health and behavioral health services. These are updates that the virtual health community has long advocated for, though perhaps they are not as extensive as some would have hoped since the payment rules are mostly just related to mental and behavioral health. I'm curious, too, about the Medicare Diabetes Prevention Program. This was one of the early success stories of the Innovation Center. Melissa, how will the changes encourage expansion, and has the agency set any targets? So the final rule waives the provider enrollment Medicare application fee for suppliers that apply to MDPP after January 1st, 2022. CMS thinks that waiving the application fee uh, beyond the, the public health emergency will lead to higher supplier enrollment. In addition, CMS is eliminating the ongoing maintenance session phase, which will change the service period to one year. This change will align the MDPP services timeframe with the CDC National Diabetes Prevention Program. But advocates are still calling for more, including our former colleague, Darshak, who recently penned a piece for Health Affairs exploring why MDPP has failed to live up to its potential and provided some suggestions for a fix. The article notes that as of March 2021, only 3,300 beneficiaries have used this program, although an estimated 29.5 million classic Medicare members have prediabetes. So, that's quite a difference. They point to the lack of a they point to the lack of physical location-based suppliers in certain states, along with the decision not to allow digital-only providers on the list of approved su- suppliers as barriers to adoption. And this may have an even more significant impact on health disparities, as the lack of physical location-based suppliers is more prevalent in communities of color. And this is also where pre-diabetes rates tend to be higher. Yeah, Digital-only providers, telehealth, virtual care, all of these have a place in the ecosystem of maintaining health and of delivering care. But sorting through which services are best delivered through which modalities is never-ending. Breda, can you tell us more about the Biden administration's decision to reverse an earlier decision to eliminate the inpatient-only or IPO list? Indeed, they did. 
Uh, under Trump, CMS had finalized a rule that would have gradually eliminated the IPO list entirely. And that would mean that any procedure could be performed in an outpatient setting and be paid for by Medicare. They also finalized a rule that would have eliminated the Covered Procedures List, or CPL, for ambulatory surgical centers. And I found that more concerning than the IPO elimination because ambulatory surgical centers would have a stronger financial incentive to perform potentially dangerous procedures in an inappropriate setting than hospitals that are just deciding whether to perform something inpatient or outpatient. Finalizing these rules is a part of the usual and customary work of CMS, but can be a challenge as administrations change and then there's this whole pandemic. I was thinking the same thing. These rules sort of um, at the end of the year kind of echo for me uh, back to normal in Medicare or whatever our normal is now, Um, which brings us to a special segment that we're doing here at the end of the year called the top three Medicare moments of 2021. Melissa, you are up first. Okay, then. The public health emergency was first declared in January of 2020, two years ago. During this time, three quarters of a million people have died from COVID-19 in the U.S., and it's hard to put any kind of silver lining on that. Um, But there are some flexibilities in Medicare regulations that were granted as a result of this declaration that have shown some positive effects on patient access and patient satisfaction. Telehealth benefits were greatly expanded, as we mentioned previously, and It was acknowledged that telehealth can mean many different things, like a phone call, especially in areas that don't have access to broadband. Hospital at home has become more widely available, despite showing promise as a way of improving quality and lowering costs more than a decade ago. Both of these trends, while they had been piloted or were available in limited pockets, are now becoming more mainstream thanks to policy changes in the last two years And it really looks like there's no turning back. Absolutely. COVID deserves the top spot. I mean, recently I hauled the 13-year-old and I in for our flu shots. It was probably like three weeks ago. And we were there in and out maybe in 20 minutes. But while we were there, there were approximately a dozen seniors turned away trying to get their booster shots. And it kind of took my breath away. I mean, they were being turned away because in some cases they weren't eligible or the shot they were looking for, the convenience store that we were at was was out of supply. And I think, um, you know, widespread eligibility for seniors came like two to three days later. But it just struck me how much 2021 was still about survival for the aging population. And it really moved me to see them, some with their walkers, some Um, double face masked, some who had been brought by a caregiver or loved one or via supportive transportation. Um, And they were frustrated and they were confused because they were being turned away that day, but they were still hopeful. And so, um, yes, COVID deserves that top spot. Uh, After COVID, I'm awarding the next top Medicare moment of 2021 to, drum roll please, Uh, Direct contracting, the model that is neither direct nor contracting. (laughs) When you are participating in a CMMI model test of change, you don't get to negotiate the terms of your participation agreement. Uh, You accept those terms um, as a result of applying to and choosing to participate in the contract. 
Um, you know, we've mentioned before, it's it's partly due to the the change of administrations and kind of the end of the last one, partly due to this public health emergency that we've been living through, that some of the energy for value-based care has diminished or dimmed. And it's not that the need has, it hasn't diminished everywhere. Certainly, um, the desire has not gone away. But perhaps some of the oomph had been missing. And boy, did direct contracting shake that up. The model came in sort of quiet sandwiched between the end of the Trump administration and the start of the Biden. And by quiet, I mean, mostly it was just those of us deep in the weeds of alternative payment models who were paying attention. You had some veteran ACOs were requesting reconsideration of the requirement for capitated payments. Um, They drew attention to the treatment of risk adjustment, which seemed to favor only new entrants. Um, But then when the expected second application season was canceled, look out. And it's it's important to stress here that we don't see application seasons canceled for models that A, the agency feels confident in, or B, the agency feels confident they can operate. So there were lots of concerns and challenges. Correct. And the impact of cutting off future applications certainly saved them from adding more participants to a a model that perhaps they had some concerns on. But it also had this enormous unintended consequence of shifting the focus of model participants. Suddenly, the value in participating was not what you might do to improve care and cost and how you might succeed financially in this model. It was instead now the fact that you held a ticket to a sold out show. And it stirred up a frenzy of buying, selling, reorganizing the corporate and ownership and legal structures of DCEs. And to extend that concert metaphor just a little further, it it raises important questions for CMMI to wrestle with. Um, Can you sell your ticket? If so, who can buy it? Can a DCE be acquired and still participate? Can a DCE sell their participation in the model without selling their practice or their legal entity? Can a DCE add non-contiguous, previously unaffiliated physicians or groups to their existing direct contracting entity? How would that impact the financial methodology and benchmarking? How substantially similar must a DCE participating in the model be to the entity that applied to participate in the model? All good questions, but I think we've lost the thread of the concert metaphor. (laughs) Possibly. Um, You know, for those on the inside with their tickets, it's been a field day. And for those who had not yet applied, they were left confused, concerned, with nowhere to go but possibly the shared savings program or seeking to partner with another direct contracting entity uh, that made it in before the gate closed. As the agency considers uh, changes to the model and contemplates whether or not and how to open a second round of applications, it's really going to be critical to understand why this interest and frenzy. And, uh, you know, look, direct contracting is neither good nor bad. It's a test of change. We've said before, actually, it's many tests of change. But it is fair to say that the theory of action for this model was not to reorganize physicians under new arrangements that pay them about the same and consolidate the market into a handful of cohort one or cohort two participants. If I were in CMMI's shoes right now, I would be very curious about what is it in this model that made the market think it's a windfall payday, and I would be focused on closing those loopholes before opening it to new applicants. And finally, I need to stop taking the sad note in our podcast as a side note, but our third award for top Medicare moment of 2021 is the Medicare expansions that weren't. 
In other words, Medicare, dental, and vision coverage, which seem to have been fully dropped from the Build Back Better bill. Also lowering the Medicare eligibility age to 60, which seemed like it maybe still had a shot at being included in this package in the summer, but which had fully been dropped by this fall. I'll admit that I am pretty sad about all of those, but I'm holding out hope that the Senate will keep Medicare hearing benefits and build back better. Yeah, Breda, it's hard to feel like there was a shot at this expansion and we missed it. For all of our discussion of care transformation, value-based care, alternative payment models, the studies are clear. The biggest and greatest value to improve health for seniors, for Medicaid, or commercially insured lives is coverage. We cannot treat what we don't cover, and access is value. So turning away from Congress, why don't you bring us back into reality, please? <laughs> you bet. That sounds like it's time for a healthcare hero. Uh, so this month's healthcare hero is Karen Sroka, the Director of Clinical Services at National Lutheran Communities and Services, a nursing home provider in Frederick, Maryland. Karen was nominated by a coworker who said that she goes above and beyond to ensure that residents are cared for. Not only has she stepped in to serve as the interim director of nursing, she has also picked up night shifts when they were short-staffed. And all of this while leading the organization's COVID response, from testing to infection control to vaccine rollout. So Karen, thank you for all that you do to care for residents and for your team. Go Karen! There's the bell. That chime means we're near the end. Just enough time for our aha moment. Melissa, I think it's your turn. Any revelations this past month to share with listeners? Uh, yes, I do. A recent article in Health Affairs by Howell, Tin, and Robinson quantified that the cost of UM management just for drugs, just for drugs, is $93.3 billion annually. This is not drug spend. It is the cost of programs for making sure that only patients that need certain drugs are taking them. And this is just for drugs, not other medical services. It reminded me of all the time at Anthem that was spent on UM programs, smart shopper programs, VBID and value-based programs that all play some role in managing excess or overutilization. Because of the high cost of healthcare, Finding ways to reduce wasteful spend is that much more attractive. But there is an entire industry around UM administration that is co adding costs into the system. The more complicated a program becomes, the more difficult it is to administer. And it was just a reminder to me of what a significant percentage of healthcare spend is not actually on healthcare. Here's hoping that we get smarter on that in 2022. And that's a wrap for today and for 2021. See you all in the new year when we return with a very special episode, including our colleagues from Herrera Health Group's Medicaid team, to look at the year ahead and what to hope and watch for in Medicare and Medicaid. Thank you for joining us for the Medicare Meetup today. If you liked what you heard, be sure to tell us, share the podcast, follow us on Twitter at Herrera Health, that's A-U-R-R-E-R-A -R -R -E Health, if you have questions or thoughts about future guests or to subscribe to our Medicare News Roundup, you can always reach us at medicare at herrerahealth.com. Finally, before we go, have you hugged your Medicare loved one today? No? Do it. Hugs are back. Medicare is destination health coverage. We all end up here if we're lucky. 
but isolation isn't the destination we want for ourselves or for one another. So reach out, text, or send mail. People love mail. And until next time, this has been Breda, Melissa, and Meg with your Medicare Meetup.